Hey, everybody. This is Frankie from the Breakpoint Podcast. We want to thank you all for tuning in to Marcus and I discussing our love and passion for the game of tennis. Your engagement and support goes a long way to helping this podcast continue to grow. Please be sure to give us a follow. Rate our podcast on our social channels, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, or any other place that you get your podcasts. And on social media, Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast 7, Twitter at Breakpoint Pod 7, LinkedIn, and of course, our website, podpage.com forward slash break dash point dash podcast. Remember to subscribe to our podcast so you're the first to know when there's a new episode drop and more people like you can find our podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Breakpoint Podcast, starring myself, Frankie, and my co-host in person, Marcus Smith. Marcus, today we have a topic that I have been wanting to rant about for a long time, which I know our viewers are very surprised about. I don't rant ever. Um, We're going to be talking about the Tennis Hall of Fame and the sort of problems that I personally have with it in comparison to what I view as the best Hall of Fame of any sport, which is baseball. Yeah, good thing you're leading this one because I don't know too much about this. So, but I got some I got some ideas and thoughts. But uh, this is going to be your show here. Love it. Um, basically, the, the the rough idea here is that there are plenty of sports that do this thing where the Hall of Fame turns into a hall, a hall of very good. Right. Perfect example of it is basketball. There's a lot of people in the basketball Hall of Fame that you're just like, eh, you're fine. But, like, are you a generational all-time player? I don't really know. <laughs> and I think that tennis does that, too, a lot. Like, there's a lot of people in the Tennis Hall of Fame where it seems like the requirement is win one Grand Slam, automatically in the Hall of Fame, get to number one in the world, automatically in the Hall of Fame. Like, just pretty basic hurdles of being considered, like, a great player. And I think that we should be more selective, like the Pro Football Hall of Fame is for the NFL, American football, as it's known internationally, um, and the Baseball Hall of Fame specifically, which is notoriously very difficult to get into. And I think that that adds to the sort of prestige and mystique of being a Hall of Famer. Um, Like when you say that somebody's a Hall of Famer in baseball or in football, like that's a really meaningful description of somebody, right? It signifies that they're an all-time great. Whereas when you say somebody's a Hall of Famer in basketball, it's like, whoop-de-doo like it just doesn't mean much right so that's sort of what I'm trying to accomplish here um so the first thing that I want to discuss with you is what we think should be like a rough idea of the criteria that we're looking for when thinking about like who should be in the hall of fame who who should be in the hall of fame like what are the sort of minimum hurdles that you would be looking for in identifying an all-time great hall of famer for me, it would have to be at least at least a multi a, a, a multi time slam champ. In addition to a world number one ranking, I think. In addition to that, maybe a couple of Masters titles. It, it, it really is dependent case case by case, but uh, I think Impact also has a a large large we need to put a large emphasis on on impact 
someone who comes to mind is an Arthur Ashe. Multi-time Grand Slam champ, but impact on tennis and, and the community and, and the growth for the sport and the urban communities, African-American communities. Um, you and I both profited from him, you know, playing in NYJTL. That is something that cannot be ignored. Um, but I think that this, you're right, like, that, that's for me that's something really important. This occasional kind of, oh, he or she won a slam and they were number one for a while. Uh, yeah, let's, let's just toss them in there because, you know, they did well. That is not completely right by me. But for me, it, it, impact has a large, you know, if, if you're someone who wasn't like that successful, but you had a large impact on the game and, and the tennis community, I think we need to value that more than just pure results. But if we're talking pure results, I think number one ranking and at least a couple of a couple of slams under your belt. Yeah, like to me, the perfect example of somebody who is like a borderline Hall of Famer, like a classic, like this is the guy that's like, for people who know baseball, like a Fred McGriff kind of player, okay? I know you have no idea who that is, and that's fine. But... Um, for me, that person is Stan Wawrinka. Dude, I had him in my mind. He's he's exactly it. He's exactly it. That's the border for me. Stan Wawrinka, I think there's a legitimate argument as to why he should be in the Hall of Fame and why he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. But he is the boundary. If you are not as good as Stan Wawrinka is, if you don't have as good act as of accolades as multiple-time Grand Slam champion, Olympic gold medalist Stan Wawrinka, like, you have no business being in the Hall of Fame. And I don't even know if Stan Wawrinka is in the Hall of Fame, got another to one be honest. Who's who's pretty, in my opinion, is on that exact, like, because Wawrinka, I was thinking about him while you were kind of going over that. Marat Safin. Yeah. I mean, two, two-time slam champ, but he was not, number one in the world, but he was only number one in the world for, like, two weeks. Or something like very small, very small time. He's borderline for me as well. Um, Pat Rafter, another one. Leighton Hewitt. These guys are these guys are borderline. Hewitt, I would probably give him a little bit more clout to putting in because he was number one for a pretty decent amount of time, if I'm remembering right. Um, and he did a lot of things like at a very young age that like broke some records, but. That's another one. Perfect example, right? Like the Saffins, you know, a lot of those guys that were like in that early prime Fed era, you know? I got another juicy one for you. I'm about to start a riot. Andy Murray? No, stop. He's a Hall of Fame. Yeah? Yeah, he's he's auto, auto Hall of Fame for me. Yeah, for sure. Multiple Grand Slams, number one in the world at the toughest era of tennis, multiple gold medals, which I value as much as a major um he's got two of them by the way pretty sick um like i said was number one in the world yeah andy murray for me is definitely in that's not even a discussion auto in i think i think andy murray is the most underrated tennis player of all time i think he's easily a top 10 player ever yeah i'm and again i the only reason why i asked that is because i want to see where where is the you know yeah. wh- where are we comparison him because Vavrinka is also I mean we can also say the same thing about Vavrinka he's got just as many slams as Murray in the exact same era however he doesn't have the number one world ranking not as many Masters titles etc but theoretically same 
ish level, which is why Vavrinka is someone who's like a super interesting case. And it's like, where do we draw the line? Now, Vavrinka, as far as I know, doesn't have like the kind of impact on the game that others have had. Murray, maybe a little bit more. Um, so again, that impact factor is something that also plays into it. Hewitt has had a massive impact on the game. Yes. So that's, that's, I agree with you. The impact thing that you're describing hundred percent is so true. is Murat Safin with his racket smashing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like there's tons of players who I can think of, right. That have never, uh, Juan Martin Del Potro is another one, won one slam, but a massive impact on the game for me, he doesn't get in because it was just injured way too much, but I get it. And like, I know you want to put him in. I want to put him in. I love the guy, but no, yeah. he's not. Um, you know, it's it. There's there's going to be a lot of players that like I can think of that had a very big impact on the game, but have not like won a slam or like didn't get to that point. You know what I mean? Even somebody like Andy Roddick, honestly, is a great question. Like, is he a Hall of Famer? I don't think so, personally. One slam, got to some slam finals, but I don't know. Yeah. Damn, that's a tough one. How about on the women's side here? I want to throw a name at you for you because I want to see where we land. I already can tell you who my borderline person is for the women's side. Elena Dementieva? No, that's a good pick, though. I like that. Um, I think personally there's two players that come to mind. Number one is Petra Kvitova. Damn, yeah. Borderline. Um. Number two, actually, I'm I'm thinking of three now. So there's there's three players. Number two is Caroline Wozniacki, has a ton of time at world number one, only one slam. And number three for me, and you're gonna disagree, you're gonna say she's in the hall, is Naomi Osaka. Yeah, you know what? I honestly I don't know if I agree with that. Osaka. Osaka's impact, I I is what for me would take her over the top. And put her in. In her accolades, I mean, damn. At least, what, she got three, four slams? Three slams, number one, impact? Uh, man. Yeah, that's tough. See, that's, that's where... See, that's where I think we need to... On the one hand, I think we need to do it kind of case by case. But on the other hand, I feel like for that kind of first-tier Hall of Famer, you, I feel like you got to kind of have some like hard, like hard requirements in terms of numbers, accolades, etc. Well, that's what I'm saying also, right? And you're even familiar with this, with even a basic knowledge of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Most players don't get in their first time. For you to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, it takes an extraordinary you know, level of achievement. Uh, there was, for example here, there was no one who got a 100% unanimous vote into the Hall of Fame until Mariano Rivera just a few years ago in baseball. So that means somebody like Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, Walter Johnson, people who are widely considered like the best baseball players of all time. Willie Mays did not get 100%. There were people that said, nope, not voting you in just because like that's just how it works. And like whether it's stupid or not is a different discussion. Like everybody knows that Willie Mays is a Hall of Famer, that Babe Ruth is a Hall of Famer, but like they may not like want to give that to them and like have it be a level of exclusivity of like hey you're a first ballot hall of famer like that is reserved for like you are a top 10 player of all time like for me andy murray that's a first ballot 
like you have so many accolades that like I would easily put you in. Okay, so in that case, where do we land with Vavrinka? Vavrinka for me does not get in. I don't think that he did. I'm on board en- with that, by the way. Yeah, I don't think that he did enough outside of those three slams. I think he his peak was just too short for him to be considered into that Hall of Fame. Like the thing with Andy is that Andy, yes, has the same amount of grand slams, but Andy Murray was very relevant and getting to slam finals, getting to all these other things for years, for a long time. It just took him a bit to get over that hump, but also the guy was playing like at the peak of Novak Djokovic's powers, the peak of Rafa Nadal's powers, right? So like, Obviously, it took him a long time. And he was also the first... He was like one of the only non-big three guys to win a slam pre-2015. So, you know, for me, he... Again, I have a soft spot for Murray. I think he's a top 10 player of all time uh, with the stats, the accolades, and the, you know, the impact that he's had on the game. I could go on and on about him. Um, Stan, I don't think... Like, when I think of Stan versus Andy Murray... It's not even a comparison to me of who is the better. Like, in my mind, at the peak of their powers, who's a better tennis player? It's Andy. Yes, however, I'm going to bring in a, an argument that I've had a lot with a lot of people regards to football. Um, but Ringa kind of reminds me of an Eli Manning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yes, um, obviously not nowhere near comparison to his brother Peyton or any other top quarterback ever. However... He did beat Tom Brady two times in a Super Bowl final. And if we look at Vavrinka, he did beat Novak Djokovic twice in Grand Slam finals. Um, and mind you, he also won one of each where he beat, he beat Djokovic at three slams, at three different ones as well. That's also something that cannot be taken lightly for. I Again, I agree. I don't think just because... I agree that his his the rest of his tennis resume doesn't match up for me or doesn't hit what I consider a Hall of Famer, but I don't know. It's kind of a tough line because it's like is that more is that more impressive than Leighton Hewitt winning two slams and being one in the world when it was a kind of a dead era? I don't know. Uh, it, it, that's where it get, that's where things get hazy. You know what I mean? Like, for me, on a basic level, you should be able to look at a player, like, taking away the stats, you should be able to look at a player and say, this is one of the all-time great tennis players. Hall of Fame. Like, that's that's the criteria. If I don't think that you're an all-time great tennis player, you don't go in the Hall of Fame. And it should be strict. It should be really tough, like, to say, like, ugh, I don't know if this guy should go in. Like, that's why Stan Wawrinka, for me, is a perfect example, because he is, for me, right on the border. I don't know if he's in. I don't know if he's out. I can hear arguments, but also, like, I probably lean towards out, personally. Even Leighton Hewitt, like I said, I think maybe he's a slight lean in for me. I'd really need to dig into the stats again, but, like, he's somebody that, like, is right on the border. Yeah, but you also got to keep in mind, and this is where things get a little hazy. Also, is that he he for for him specifically, what he's done outside of his actual playing career, 
with his running Tennis Australia, being Davis Cup captain, being an ambassador for the game, etc., that's something that also plays a role in some. That's some, not something that really Vavrinka has done. And, I mean, we all know Safin hasn't really done that. So um, he was an ambassador for something else, if you know what I mean. But uh, that that's where the... That's where we kind of got to look at it case by case because there are some guys who it's like, yeah, the the absolute hard facts are borderline, but whether or not their impact will put them over or under that kind of that first ballot criteria, kind of like what we spoke about with Ash, where it's like Ash, same kind of resume that Hewitt, Saf, and all these guys had, but it's like it's Arthur Ash. Like, I mean, we named the stadium here in Queens after him. Yeah, no, I think that's right. So, Marcus. To wrap up this episode, and this is sort of going to be the beginning of what I hope will be a multi-part thing, we're going to create our own Hall of Fame classes. And it's going to start uh, with the men's side first. We'll continue this for the women's, and we'll do our first ballot. Not first ballot, but first class of women's players as well. Um, but our first class of men's players is going to be five gentlemen that we'll put in as these are the five players that we are, you know, putting it as the, the you know, the, our first class, really, right? So, um, for me... Um, I mean, we already know four of them. We already know... Well, f- I don't know. Well, I actually probably do, yeah, four. We know three for sure, right? Federer, Novak, um, Nadal, I think, unanimously would get in, correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. I think Murray as well. Murray's not in my first five. Um, my fourth um, is Rod Laver. Um, and my fifth, personally, is Pete Sampras. Um, that's going to be my first five in. Um, so you're saying if you started a Hall of Fame from scratch? From total scratch right now. Yeah, obviously the big three. Laver. That fifth spot is the tough one, I think. Because I can, I can go either Sampras or I can go Bjorn Borg. Yeah, Borg, Borg, I think, is right there. Uh, Roy Emerson also is right there. Rosewalls, another one right there. You know who else I can say? John McEnroe certainly has an argument, okay, with, with when you add in the doubles aspect of it. Yeah. And to be honest, even Arthur Ashe. Yeah, and you know who else I can say? I could say Carlos Alcaraz. If he stopped playing today, I would put him in the Hall of Fame. His impact on the way the game is played right now. Being able to take out the big three and dominate. Yeah, I mean, Alcaraz for me is like the Patrick Mahomes of tennis. Where it's like Mahomes has played like, if you look at Patrick Mahomes, uh, he is a quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs in National Football, in the National Football League. Um, Patrick Mahomes in six years already is a Hall of Famer. Already. Has two Super Bowls, two MVPs. Like He is a Hall of Famer. Um, Alcaraz for me, I agree. He's already got enough stuff. Like he's going in just because of a, how young he's done it, how quickly he's done it. There's very few people that have ever even remotely close to what he's doing. So I could totally see that. He's just not in my first class. Um, I think that you have to start with those five guys. Um, obviously the big three is the big three. Uh, Sampras for me, 
is another one of those players that is sneakily underrated by a lot of folks because he didn't win the Grand Slam, quote-unquote. Um, but, you know, impact on the game with the way that he served um, and being like sort of that American tennis player, which I think adds a level of pressure that is unique to American tennis players. Um, I think he is my fifth pick there. Rod Laver, I mean, he is the inspiration for almost every tennis player. The first guy to do all of the things that we now consider achievements was Rod Laver. Yeah, he set, he's, he's set the bar. Yeah. And and last one here on impact in terms of actual game, like that's why I kind of bring Carlos into it because even if he quit today, the way that he's changed the game in terms of how it's played, um, someone like an Yvonne Lendl. Yeah. Also, right in there with his physicality and the way that he slugged the ball. No one had, you know, Johnny Mack literally started going to the gym because of Yvonne Lendl. Used to never touch a weight in his life. Would literally just touch only tennis rackets. And now, all of a sudden, he was like, wow, I shoot, I actually got to go or like run up a hill. Yeah, I mean, Lendl, Lendl's a great shout. Um, I think Lendl, McEnroe, Borg, all of those, Agassi even, like all of these guys have legitimate... Um, Mats Vlander is another one who's got like a great resume along with Edberg. Very underrated. Yeah, like I think all of these guys have legitimate arguments to to be that fifth spot, like I mentioned. Um, yeah, it's you're splitting hairs, right? I mean, that's but that's the point. Yeah, the point is that it's difficult. So for me, it's splitting hairs. It's very very close. But when I think of like my top five, that's probably who I'm putting in that top five. If Borg had played longer, yeah, he's probably that fifth spot. Oh, but I forgot one more. Hit me. Bernard Tummett. And on that note, we're done. Um, so uh, thank you for tuning in. We hope you guys have enjoyed this uh, little start of a series, hopefully. And uh, please share your feedback. We'd love to hear it. And uh, we'll catch you guys next time. See ya. See ya.